0: It's good to see you here tonight, and um, <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to John 3, verse 14. I'm going to be speaking about the serpent on the pole, <clears throat> but we'll start with John 3, verse 14, which is interesting because normally the most famous passage in the Bible is John three sixteen but it's interesting to see it in context, and that in turn will take us to Numbers chapter 21. John 3, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. So that famous verse, John 3.16, that most Christians learn to quote, Bible-believing Christians anyway, has a backdrop, a story, a comparison that leads into it. And that is, as, as the Apostle John saying, is saying, he's saying, just as Moses lift up, it lifted the serpent or the snake in the wilderness. Now, when John says, can we shut that door please, thanks. When John says, just as the serpent, that means that we can go back, and we're going to, to this story in Numbers 21, about when they fashioned a bronze serpent and it's going to make it's going to help us understand John 3:16 just as in other words compare compare this action of Moses when he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness think about that compare it and you will understand the ministry of Jesus because he too must be lifted up and in the way that lifting up the serpent in the wilderness brought healing and salvation. In the same way, so the lifting up of Jesus on the cross will bring healing and salvation. And it's interesting, uh, before we even get into the story, that here, in John chapter 3, it's talking about lifting Jesus being lifted up for the saving of your souls, the forgiveness of your sins. And as we go over to uh, the story in Numbers 21, you find that the serpent there was lifted up for the healing of the body. And uh, that means and shows us that in Christ's death on the cross is not only forgiveness of sins, but power for healing. Let's go to Numbers chapter 21. And do what John's gospel has told us to do, just as Moses lifted up in the serpent, so must the Son of Man also be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. So Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4. From, this is the children of Israel with Moses. Numbers 21 verse 4, the bronze serpent. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. As we compare this passage with the lifting up of Jesus on the cross, there's a lot of profound things that come to us, very profound things. Let's back up and think about the serpent. You know, It wasn't by accident that God said, put a serpent on the pole. And when you think about the serpents in the Bible, you know what the serpent is. You know that the serpent is an image of Satan. I mean, you can go back to Genesis 3, I think it's verse 14 if you want, but you probably know the story of how Satan himself came in the form of a serpent in order to deceive Adam and Eve. And that when Adam and Eve were deceived and sinned and the fall came into the world and everything fell, not only Adam and Eve, they took the whole of creation with them. And now I find that humankind and the world is in a fallen condition, a broken condition. God did not create the world as it is today. God did not create nature in the way that it operates today. God did not create humans as we are today. You'd only have to go pre-fall and know that when God created everything, everything was good. So we're talking about a post-fall scenario that's here. And even during the judgment, when the judgment came to Adam and Eve, the serpent was judged, and uh, the figure of the snake was a picture. And the, and right there at the beginning, there was right at the beginning of the just where the fall happened, there was a note of triumph from gospel. Because God said to the serpent that you will bite the heel of man, but one day he will bruise your head. And that is in itself a picture of Jesus on the cross and how Jesus, when he bruised the head, destroyed the snake, destroyed the serpent and all the work that had come out of him. We know Revelation 12 verse 9 says, the serpent of old who is called the devil and serpent. We think of, if you remember, the story of Moses, and as he was trying to deliver his people, and he was saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. In Exodus 4, there was a sign, and one of the signs that Moses was given was that he could throw down the rod of God, and it turned into a a snake. And so this was to be a sign Now, the rod of God, the rod of God is very important because the rod of God, or Abraham's rod, was a symbol of his authority and his power. It was a symbol of all the authority that God had given to him when he lifted it up over the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. Uh, When they were fighting against the Amalekites, do you remember the story? As long as Moses held the rod of God up, the Israelites prevailed against the Amalekites. But when he got weary and tired and the rod of God came down, the Amalekites prevailed against the Israelites. So was it Aaron and Hur? They came alongside and lifted up his arms so that they, they prevailed. Now, when he threw down his rod in uh, Exodus 7, we find that the magicians could copy it because they were... Magicians schooled in the black arts and the occults, and they were able either by black magic or by a conjuring trick to do a similar thing of producing snakes. But if you remember in chapter 7, verse 8 of Exodus, what did the rod of God that had turned into a snake do? It swallowed up the other snakes. So the rod became a snake to devour the snakes. The rod of God. Transformed into a snake to devour the snake. And then here we come to this passage we've read in Numbers chapter 21. And we see that judgment has fallen on the sin of the the children of Israel. And judgment had come in the form of fiery, poisonous serpents. I mean, it must have been horrible. Imagine it. These serpents suddenly just coming and, and appearing maybe out of the ground or something, and going into the uh, hundreds and thousands of of Israelites and and everybody running and snakes all over the place. I mean, just one snake's enough to panic people, isn't it? I mean, I I remember we had an encounter, a leader's encounter at Annan Court many years ago, and uh, we were having some teaching in the room. (coughs) And... <clears throat> there was teaching on deliverance and things. <coughs> excuse me, and things like that. <coughs> and and it was very powerful. Deliverance from the enemy and freedom. And I was sitting sort of like in the middle near the front. And all of a sudden, there were shrieks. When we looked back into the corner of the room. It was the it, it, and and and. The men and the women in the corner they were jumping around, they were jumping on things, people were running around and it was it was panic in the corner and What had happened is a snake had got in. It was only a grass snake <laughs> but that didn't matter and so this poor grass snake uh, they managed to get it out, and then somebody who was a snake killer used to killing snake killed it that 's exactly well. The Africans didn't go, (laughs) ah. It's a snake that killed it, but yes, the Europeans went, ah. And I tell you, there was more argument about whether the snake, the little grass snake, should have been killed or or not. But I remember when that snake it caused caused panic. And uh, can you imagine the panic that would have been caused amongst the people? I mean, you get bitten, you've had it. And we're talking about vipers here. We're talking about cobras. We're talking about about poison. And you know how snakes kill. Their poison gets into your bloodstream. And before you know it, your heart's paralyzed. You're taken out. They get their fangs into you. And it's not just that you're bitten, but poison enters your system. And this is what had happened. And the people were dying, it says, and being bitten. And it was just panic across the whole camp, and they, they recognized that this was um, their own sin that was biting them. You see, Satan is a, is a picture, uh, the serpent is a picture of Satan, but do you know what? Satan only bites where there's sin. Jesus said to Satan, you got nothing in me, the prince of this world. So, the poison of Satan can only take its <clears throat> take its form, or or have power where there's sin. So here, before there was sin, there was no serpents. The devil is attracted to sin, do you know that? One of his names is Beelzebul. And Beelzebul literally means Lord of the Dunghill, and because of that, Lord of the Flies. And you say, well, why would the devil be called called Lord of the Flies? Well, well, where do you see flies? You, You don't normally see flies in a nice, clean um, and, you know, kitchen that's been properly cleaned, do you? If you really want to see flies, you know where you go. You go to the rubbish dumps, don't you? To the dirt and the decay. And so that's a picture of Satan, and that he is attracted to sin. And where sin is, he can bring his poison. Where there's no sin, he can't bring his poison. He can't fasten his teeth onto our lives. This is why in Ephesians, Paul says... Don't give the devil a foothold. Now, the actual word is not foothold. The, the Greek word is topos, from which we get the word topography, which is the study of land and maps and things like that. And so, don't give the devil a literal space in your life. And before that phrase, there's a whole bunch of different sins saying that, you know, if you, if you get caught up in sins, we all make mistakes, but if you are caught in a sin... <coughs> what you are doing is providing a landing, a landing strip for Satan to sink his teeth in and to bring poison into your life. You know, this is why we need to te- keep short accounts with God and man. Because if you continue in bitterness or anger or, or you know, any of these types, or lust or any of these types of things, it's not just that you're continuing in a sin, you've built a topos. A landing strip for Satan. And it doesn't just mean that Satan comes down and goes, Oh, that's nice. A bit of persistent sin in your life for me to rest in. No, he sinks his fangs into that area and he brings begins to poison your mind. How many? We've all been there. We've all been there when we've been caught in a bad attitude or anger or bitterness. You know what I'm saying? We've been, been there where we've allowed it to fester, where we've allowed it to continue true. where where it gets into us, and it's there for days and maybe even weeks, what you have to understand is that when you do that, the devil has sunk his fangs into you. And and it gets worse and worse. Why? Because sin, persistent sin, poisons you. It poisons the whole system. And so this is a, a picture of where sin was, Satan was able to sink his fans. I mean, even in the Garden of Eden, when he came and he began to be listened to, you know, that's where he could get his poison into Adam and Eve. And eventually, they they ate the apple and he captivated them. As soon as they sinned, as soon as the fall took place, the devil usurped the authority of Adam and Eve. And he's been trying, he's been the god of this age ever since. He's been the prince of this world ever since. And the only way to get under the power of Satan is, as we'll we'll soon see, to see Jesus lifted up on the cross and to believe. Because until you have seen Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying for your sin and being raised for your justification, until you see that and believe that, you are under the power of Satan. You might say, well, (coughs) I'm not a Christian and I don't feel under the power of Satan. That's his deceit. He's a liar. (coughs) People don't even know they're under his power. They're so poisoned. (coughs) So, (coughs) in Numbers, we we see this situation. And they go to Moses. And Moses prays. He's saying, Lord, how will you save your people? And he says, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. I mean, this, this is amazing. God says, take the very thing that is killing the people and stick it on a pole. <clears throat> the very thing that they're looking at, squirming on the ground. I mean, nobody was looking up, by the way, at that time. When you, when you get a whole brood of vipers in the midst of the congregation, uh, don't worry, it's not going to happen here, but if suddenly we released a whole bunch of vipers into the congregation and the snakes just went right under the chairs and and up the stairs, you're not going to be looking up, are you? You're going to be looking down at your feet. You're going to be spending... and, And that's what they were doing. They were looking down. They were obsessed by the serpents. They were looking down. And God's antidote to the poison was to get them to look up. But to look up, at the very thing that they were looking down. Incredible. Look up at the very thing that they're looking down. I mean, I remember as a child not knowing these scriptures and seeing like nurses or ambulances and they had a pole with a snake on it. You ever seen that? St. John's ambulance and all that? I I remember going to my mum and saying, is that an ambulance? Yes. Yes. Well, how come it's got a snake on it? How, what, what a strange thing, I thought. You know, to a, a, an ambulance that brings healing and, and medicine and, and a symbol of medicine and some people wear badges with them on and everything like that. I thought, what a strange thing. A snake, yuck. That's what I thought as a kid, yuck. A snake, a nasty boy. I mean, snake, snakes have got a bad reputation. Partly from the Bible. Snakes are beautiful creatures, actually. But, you know, I thought, what? That is the last thing. If you were asked, without knowing the story, to choose a symbol of healing, would you choose that? I wouldn't choose that. Not knowing this story, I'd choose oil or some sort of healing properties or some healing herb or, or something like that or somebody laying hands on somebody. But no, people have recognized Even in the medical world right up to this day, there was a recognition of the healing properties of this bronze serpent on a pole so that even today, in certain medical scenarios, St. John's ambulances, things like that, you will see Numbers 21 as a symbol. Somebody saw the healing properties in the serpent on the pole. But they might as well stick a picture of Jesus on the cross too. Because the serpent on the pole was a type. When we talk about types in the Old Testament, we say things that happen in the Old Testament that are a picture of, a type of. They're not the fullness of, they point to something in the future. And that's why when we read in John chapter 3 verse 14, it said, just as Moses lifted the serpent up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man had to be lifted up because that's what means is a type. It means when you go back to the serpent on a pole, you'll understand a lot about what it means when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, just as the serpent was lifted up on the cross. And so this serpent was put on a pole, and it was lifted up. You can almost imagine this huge big pole. Uh, I think it was a lot bigger than the one on the picture behind me. Uh, I think it would be very high, this pole, because we're talking about millions of people in the wilderness. And you can imagine the priests, I imagine the priests, lifting up this huge pole, and, and, and there you can see, in the picture behind me, a lovely picture, you can see somebody there, just before it, looking up, raising his hands, and then behind me you see this guy in the orange, it's a beautiful picture, he's got his hand on the lady's head, and he's telling her, look up. Look up and see. Look up and be healed. And there's a lovely sort of light. You can see the light on her face, can't you? There, symbolizing the healing power coming from that serpent on a pole. And so they ran into the midst of sickness. Ran into the midst of death. Ran into the midst of panic. Ran into the midst of destruction. And they lifted this pole high. And anybody that looked up got healed. Now this is important because it takes faith to look up. It didn't say make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who's bitten shall live. It didn't say that. It said set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten, when he or she sees it, when they look, they shall live. If you didn't look up and gaze on the, ser- the bronze serpent on the pole, you would not be healed. You would die in your sins by the judgment of the serpent that had been sent. And so this speaks of faith, because these people were looking down. They were looking to their own ability. They were frightened. They were scared. They were thinking they could dodge the serpent's. But they had to take their eyes and they had to trust that looking up... I mean, you can imagine somebody looking up for the first time. And as they begin to look up, they feel the bites of the serpent. But don't look down. Keep lifting your head. Keep lifting up. I can feel it biting. Keep looking. Keep looking. And then when you gaze, meditate, and see the bronze serpent on the pole, all of a sudden... Healing power comes into your body. It doesn't matter how many bites that have been in your life. There is no poison. The poison can't enter your being. Any poison in your being immediately leaves your being. And even the teeth marks are healed. And as long as you look at that, healing power has come into your life. This is a picture of Isaiah chapter 53, that famous atonement. Isaiah chapter 53. And I believe today, I dare to believe that even preaching this is bringing healing. I mean, I really do. Because as I'm preaching, you see, to go ahead of myself, how is Christ lifted up today by the preaching of God's word? So even as I describe these things, healing power is coming. Because the eye upon which you behold Jesus on a cross is the eye of God faith. But here in, in Isaiah chapter 53, and this speaks very much about Jesus being lifted on the cross and about how on the cross he carried our sicknesses and he also carried our sins. I'll start from verse 3 of Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted And with his wounds we are healed. We as like sheep have gone astray, and each one turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity upon us all. Now, if you go back to verse 3, where it says, He was despised by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. Those are the wrong words. Because those words aren't talking about emotional sorrows or griefs. They are talking about sickness and pains. So that word sorrows, a man of sorrows, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, that is a man of pains. And the word for pain is physical pain. It's a word used in the rest of the Hebrew Bible for physical pain. It's not internal, it's physical, and acquainted with grief, that is the wrong translation. The word is sickness, physical sickness. So the correct translation of that, and you may have it in some of yours, is he was despised, rejected by men, a man of physical pain, experiencing physical pain, and acquainted with physical sickness. And surely he has carried our sicknesses. Verse 4, it's there again. Our sicknesses and carried, sorry, borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. It's there again. It is physical. Very important, this. Later on, of course, we see him carrying spiritual pains. We see, it says, he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. So transgressions means sins. And so on the cross, what was taking place, many things were taking place, but two main things were taking place. He was carrying the sins of the world and the punishment for the sins of the world. But he was also carrying on the cross the sicknesses of the world. The reason that he died was to destroy death. But in destroying death, he also is Lord over sickness. Now we know that that the last enemy that will be finally utterly eradicated from earth will be death. And that will take place just before Jesus returns... That's why before Jesus returns at the rapture when he returns and returns for good uh, there's not two raptures there's one rapture and it t- and it takes place at the second coming of Jesus there's no third coming of Jesus there's no secret coming of Jesus when he secretly raptures his church away it's not in the Bible in there there's no evidence at that whenever Jesus comes he comes with a trumpet he comes with an angel shout and so when he comes so when he comes when the job is done And he comes down, then what will happen is, it says the dead in Christ will rise first and we'll be caught up with them. And the moment that the dead are raised, Jesus will come down. Why? Because he is totally and utterly victorious. All his enemies have been put under his feet. Not all his enemies have been put under his feet yet. And the last enemy, Corinthians says, Paul says, to be put under his feet, the last enemy, it's already defeated. Jesus can raise the dead at will, and did. But those that he raised died again, didn't they? But the last enemy is death. And as soon as the rapture takes place, the trumpet is sound, the dead in Christ rise, as soon as that takes place, Jesus will now step off his throne, utterly, totally, fully victorious in every way, shape and form, and come to earth. And we'll greet him in the air. The word greet him in the air is a word that is used about somebody that goes out um, from a city to greet a dignitary and to bring them back into the city. Just as if, say, the Pope or somebody came to Heathrow. We wouldn't tell him to get a taxi, would we? Oh, yeah, if you come into Buckingham Palace, Pope, uh, just, yeah, there's plenty of taxis out there. And, uh, yeah, one Buckingham Park, see you there. You'd send a delegation out, wouldn't you, to meet somebody like that. Greet him. Meet him and accompany him. So that's what we're we're talking about. So that's finally yet to happen. But thank God, healing is in the atonement. That means we can believe God for healing. You know, there's no reason why we can't have a totally healed world. Do you know that? Because when Jesus carried the sicknesses on the cross, he carried every sickness. You say, well, I'm suffering sickness. You say, I'm suffering. Well, I am too. I'm a diabetic. So you're not healed. Not yet. Not yet, but my diabetes Jesus carried 2,000 years ago. So, what we need to do is get to the place of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because there's no diabetes in heaven. And so, we're saying, God, we need manifestation of what you have already accomplished on the cross. And so, Isaiah 53 is speaking about these twin things sickness he carried, and sin he carried. Uh, two Corinthians chapter five verse twenty one is a very important passage as we unpackage this imagery. Two Corinthians chapter five verse twenty one. For our sake, he made two Corinthians five twenty one. For our sake, he made Christ. To be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. You see what we're talking about? We're talking about there were serpents. And what did God do? He made a serpent on a pole to destroy the serpents on the ground. In order to destroy the power of sin, Christ became sin. So on the cross, he was despised. Even the Father turned away from him. Why? Because he carried our sins, and they were reckoned to him. He became sin on the cross. Not only that, but very powerful in this image, Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ Redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. Wait a second. He's become sin. Now he's become a curse. Those are nasty things, aren't they? He became a curse. Becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. So that Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to us. So here we are getting a picture of Jesus and what he is carrying on the cross, and it's an ugly sight. Isaiah 53 is an ugly sight when you read it right through, when you see the prophecy of Christ beaten and and whipped and scourged, and and people so ugly with the destruction that was upon him, people couldn't even look at him, then nailed to his cross. It's not a pretty sight publicly displayed. And what is the picture? Well, the picture is that he has become like a serpent on the pole. That's the picture. Jesus is the serpent on the pole. That's an incredible thing to think of. Incredible thing to think of. The devil's a serpent. And now Jesus is a serpent. Now, There is one difference between the devil being a serpent and Jesus being a serpent on the pole, and and this is the difference. The serpent was by nature a serpent, but Jesus, although he became as a serpent on the pole, by nature he was always the spotless lamb of God. There's some people that go too far in this, in some extreme faith circles. They actually teach falsely, That Jesus took on a satanic nature. Yep, that's what they teach on the cross. That Jesus took on a satanic nature. Not only did he carry sin and 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 put and, and everything, but he had a satanic nature, and then he died, went to hell, and was punished, and that Jesus himself was then born again in hell. That's a false extreme faith teaching. It's called Jesus Died Spiritually. Let me just bring it, some of you are looking at me like, my God, do people believe that? You would be surprised, some of your favorite preachers do. The idea that Jesus died spiritually, that on the cross, not only did he carry sin, carry sickness, but he became sin. Now, we just read that he became sin, didn't we? 2 Corinthians 5, but that doesn't mean he became a sinner, does it? He did not take on a sin nature. When it says he became sin, what it means is is that he became the sacrificial lamb and all the sins of the world were put upon him. You know when they used to lay hands on the goats and things like that and there was a transference? He took our place. He stood in place. But he didn't become a sinner. Jesus never had a... He was the lamb of God sacrificed before the foundation of the world. He was always spotless, always pure, but it took upon himself, he carried. He identified with our sin so much that he took the punishment from it. That's what it means to become sin. But others falsely teach that he also, also took on our satanic nature. They believe we have a satanic nature. You do not have a satanic nature, my friend. Before you're saved, you have a sin nature. Satan's not powerful enough to give you a satanic nature. Before you are saved, you are fallen. You have a broken sin nature that is ruled by Satan. Remember? Wherever sin is, Satan lands, takes control. But you never had a satanic nature. You had a sin nature. But then when you were born again, you had a new nature. You were a new creation. But Jesus on the cross, he carried all these things. He stood in our place. He took the punishment. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was punished for our sins. He he carried the the sicknesses of the world upon him. And he died to destroy death. But when he went down to Hades, he went down victorious. The Bible says he went down there. Amen. He went down there victorious. When he said on the cross, it is finished, it was. And he went down and we don't quite know what happened during the three days and nights he was there, but we know he was in victory. He was preaching the good news to those before the flood and all these types of things we don't quite understand. He went down victorious and on the third day he rose again. He was not born again. He never needed to be born again because he never had a sin nature. But having having said that extreme view about Jesus' nature being sinful, about him becoming on the inside a sinner, a satanic. That is rubbish. But having said that, he carried all the sins of the world. And the picture is true, that on that cross, every sin of the world, every foul sickness of the world, the whole cursed earth, you know that? That at the fall, the curse came in. And the Lord just sought to magnify the power of the curse. Do you know this world is cursed? Do you know that? The earth is cursed. That's one of the things that happened at the fall. It's under a curse. But Jesus came to deal with sin, the curse and sickness, so that he could bring forgiveness of sin, salvation from sin, Healing power and ultimately resurrection of the dead, which is the final act of healing power when every Christian's body will be healed, no matter how long it's been decayed hundreds, thousands of years, in even, the, even the believers of the Old Testament that's going to be healed. Resurrection is simply the fullness of healing power. Came to take the curse. That's why on the cross he took poverty. Jesus became poor that we might become rich. Not that we might become rich in the sense of, um, of greedy, but that we would have provision for ourselves and everything. that God He became poor. How did he become poor? He didn't carry anything with him on the cross. I mean, they, they, they were rolling dice for his robe. And, you know, you see these pictures or models of Jesus on a cross, don't you? And there's a lovely little loincloth, isn't there? He didn't even have a loincloth. He didn't even have a rag just to give him some... I mean, what happened on the cross was so appalling and so ugly that cathedrals and churches, when they put Jesus on a cross, why they do that, I don't know. He's at, seated at the right hand of heaven. Why don't they have models of him on a throne? Victorious. Praying for Why don't they have models of Jesus before the throne of God with his hands lifted, praying victory into our lives? Uh, it was only on the cross a few hours, but nevertheless, they put him on a cross. It's nothing like it. Even they are so embarrassed by the ugliness of it that he has a, a, a little drip coming from this palm, a little drip coming this palm, an, an, an all, almost um, uh, poetic spear here with a little drip coming from here. He looks like he's never done a hard day's work in his life, and he was a hard-nosed carpenter. Looks like he's never hard, done a hard day's work in his life, and then they've got this thing. It was nothing like that that's an offence that is that's an offence to what happened on the cross it was ugly he was naked he took our shame you ever felt shame you ever done a shameful act power of shame is where condemnation is he took your shame you never need to feel ashamed again because why because you don't get any more shame than he was imagine the embarrassment of being there in front of your own mother your own mother and some cousin's And women, you're a Jewish man. And the embarrassment of being naked. I mean, it was appalling, the shame that he went through. He carried all these things on the cross. Uh, But that's why Paul says, I preach Christ crucified. And that's because that's the power of the cross. And it's the same power as the serpent. Because how do you get healed? And how do you get saved? And how do you get forgiven? And how do you get the poison out of your life? And how do you get made a whole? It's not by religious works, it's simply by looking. You know, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, he got saved in a primitive Methodist chapel. He'd been brought up a Christian, but he'd backslidden, he hadn't given his life to the Lord, and it was one cold night. And he was walking down a street, and he was freezing cold, it was snowing, and he was just looking for somewhere just to get a little bit warm, and he saw a light on, and it was a primitive Methodist meeting in, a, uh, in, in, in some sort of light. Like, it wasn't a church, but some sort of room or sort of thing. And, and he saw the light of the door open, and he went in. And the primitive Methodists, I mean, they, they, were, they were just crazy people. I mean, they had looked at Methodism and said, you're a bunch of backslidden Methodists. This is, just a, this is not even a generation after um, uh, Wesley. And they said, Methodism is has has backslidden. Where's all the hot preaching? Where's the, where's the witnessing? Where's the believing God? They're just sitting in their nice churches. And they said, we're going to get back and we're going to do what Wesley did. And they called themselves primitive Methodists. And they were hardcore. And so he went into it. And many of them weren't educated. They just believed God. And he sat down there, and there was hardly anybody there. He was definitely only the visitor there. And some old bloke who didn't know anything, who wasn't obviously educated, was standing there, and he was preaching from numbers. And uh, in his biography, Spurgeon speaks about what happened. He was just sitting there, freezing cold. And this man, obviously seeing that it was a new person there, just turned his attention totally and utterly to the young Charles Spurgeon and started preaching, look and live. Look and live, and he describes it. He says, look and live, young man. Look and live and have your heart healed. Look and live and have your sins forgiven. Look and live and have your shame lifted. Look and live, look and live, look and live. Look and live. That's all he did. And, and while he's looking at this, Charles Spurgeon, in his mind, is thinking, is this it? Is this all he's got to say? Just saying over and over, Look and live like they looked at the serpents and lived. But then something began to happen on the inside of him. And a revelation took place in his life. And it dawned on him with all his Christian upbringing and his Christian grandfather who was in the ministry and all these things. He began began to... He saw it. He saw it. What, he saw a vision? More powerful than that. He saw a revelation. He saw that all you had to do was look to Jesus. That in one look is salvation of sin. One look, a glance is enough with faith. That's why Romans 10 says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and is raised again, you shall be saved. Marty Kendall, uh, 79th birthday today. In America, he's coming back with us next year, so that's that's for six months, so that's good again. Um, but anyway, um, R.T. Kendall said this, he says, when you look at that passage in Romans saying um, that if you, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, it's the aorist tense, which means this. You can translate, if you believe once. Once, that means once and for all the aorist. Once, aorist once and continuing its effect in the future. If you believe once truly, you're saved forever. And so this beautiful picture of that, if you just see it once, if you just see a glimpse of Jesus dying on the cross for you, carrying the sins of the world, then you will be healed. And I use that word healed in its most broadest sense. You'll be healed from your sins. We believe God for healing from sickness in this earth, but I tell you what, even if you die, if he doesn't come back, your body will be healed one day. You won't just be up in heaven, one day your body on earth will be reunited. Healing in this life and ultimately full healing when Jesus returns. Healing of the soul, not just sins forgiven, Pronounced not guilty because Jesus carried your punishment, but a whole healing to come into your life that has been poisoned by this broken, sinful, cursed world where we've all been affected. We were born in sin. We were born with a spiritual disease called sin. Sin is a hereditary spiritual disease. Just like you talk about physical diseases being hereditary means it can be passed down genetically. Sin is a spiritual hereditary disease. David said, I was was a sinner in my mother's womb. You are born spiritually disabled. You're born spiritually disabled. Every single person from Adam except Jesus himself was born spiritually disabled with a hereditary spiritual sin called the Adamic sin, original sin that is passed down. But the moment, one glance of faith at Christ on the cross. Look and live, one glance, and you, if that is true faith, you are born again. You are declared not guilty and then all of a sudden what takes place is healing begins to be released into your life. A healing power of God, a flow of healing that begins at the moment of faith and will continue through the rest of your life. Healing, sanctification is healing. Physical healing is healing. Healing of the mind. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Your mind and my mind needs healing. How many of you know we got sick minds? we got sick minds. I mean, thank God we're born again, but our mind needs to catch up to our born again spirit. The biggest problem we face is what goes on in our minds, isn't it? Why, it needs to be healed. We need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Our minds need to be conformed to the word of God. We need a work of the spirit because your mind is sick. My mind is sick. Some of the things you think are sick. and I'm not talking about, maybe it is incredible perversities, but just your mind needs to be healed. And it's healed by the word and it's healed by the spirit, but it's healed by the power of Calvary. You know, the Lord, I believe, gave me a picture as I draw this to a close and then we'll just release the ministry of the cross. And I I had a picture one time when I was preparing for an Easter Good Friday message. And I had a picture. And the picture was Jesus being lifted up on a cross like the serpent was lifted up on a pole. And the picture was that being lifted up, there was like a spiritual magnetic quality about the cross. It was a magnet. And just like the bronze serpent in the Old Testament, as soon as you looked at it, then what happened? It was like there was a, man, a magnetic healing property to that serpent on a pole. Like, as soon as you saw, it began to pull out of you the poison that was in your system. It magnetized. It pulled. It was. It attracted to itself. The sickness that was in the bodies through that serpent, it attracted to itself the sin. And I had this picture of it pulling magnetically, like, you know, metal is attracted to a magnet. The magnetic power of this brazen thing, it was pulling out of the people and to itself the serpent on the pole was pulling out the power of the serpent on the ground that was in the people and it was pulling itself to it it was pulling to it. if you didn't look it wouldn't go and then i saw jesus on the cross and i realized coming a full circle back to john chapter 13 14 sorry As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And I saw Christ on the cross, but not just Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago, but Christ on the cross whenever the message is preached. And thank God that when we preach Christ crucified, we do it by the power of the resurrected Christ. We're not preaching a dead Christ to you. That's why we don't put flowers on the altar. Why? Because we're not... We're not in memorial over Jesus' death. Jesus is alive. Yeah. Jesus is triumphant. Yeah. We need his power here. We're in the battle. So, but when we preach the death of Christ, every time we preach it, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that the message of the cross is what saves you. Just speaking, just painting a picture. In, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul said, you Galatians, you backslidden. You backslidden worse than the Corinthians. The Corinthians backslidden to all types of excess. But at least they still believed in the cross. The Galatians were crucifying Christ all over again because they were saying, we don't need the cross, thank you very much. Well, that was a good start, but now we'll get circumcised and we'll save ourselves. He said, before you, whom Christ was publicly displayed. In other words, what did Paul do? He simply preached what happened. And whenever you preach the gospel, whenever you speak about Christ dying on the cross, carrying your sins, carrying the curse carrying whenever you preach that it is as if you are lift Well, you are by your preaching you are lifting Christ up paul said sometimes i've come amongst you i don't i choose not to know anything christ and christ crucified you don't like it some of you you want signs you want signs others of you 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 want clever words you want an, a self help sermon You Greeks, you want wisdom, you want want a new angle on a new passage to tickle your ears. And some of you, you want a miracle, or you want some holy water, or something like that. You want some some demonstration. Well, sometimes I've got to get right back to where the power is, and I will withdraw from demonstrations of power, uh, visible miracles. I will withdraw from sermons. And I will simply tell you the story of Christ crucified, Christ rose again, and in that is the power of God. And Paul Paul wasn't frightened to teach wisdom. Later on, after that, he said, we do have a message for the mature. But you're never too old to go back to Calvary. You're never too wise, you've never done too many theology decrees that you can't go for a fresh anointing of Christ crucified. And so whenever we preach it, when we lift it up, what happens is, I believe, that Jesus, the message, brings the power again. Because it's like a memorial. Whenever you preach about what God does, he does it again. That's what testimony means. The word testimony in the Hebrew simply means, do it again. Do it again. That's what the Hebrew word means. The root word of the word testimony in the Hebrew, the ark of the testimony, means again, do it again. So the reason testimony is important, and the reason the Israelites kept saying, write it down, tell your children, talk about it. Why? Because when you speak about what God has done, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he does it again. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the healer yesterday, today, and forever. He's the saviour yesterday, today, and forever. He's the deliverer yesterday, day, and forever. He's not changed. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament, who's the same God that's on his throne today. He never changes. And when you preach what he's done, under the anointing of the Spirit, he'll do it again. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. And so the picture of uh, when we preach the gospel, and the cross, and healing, what takes place is this. Magnetic so that was the picture magnetic power comes and begins to draw it, and the power is there to draw out of you sin to draw out of you the poison See when you look at the cross when you marvel and meditate on Christ crucified if you really marvel on it you can't stay bitter long you can't stay angry long. You can't stay proud long. You can't stay, stay offended long. You can't. You can't. Why? Because when you begin to gaze on the majesty of God, who so loved the world that he sent his only son to die, not to condemn, but to die, and you begin to meditate on how much God loves you, That he sent the only thing that he couldn't recreate his son, the uncreated one. He didn't send an angel. He could create a million of them to replace an angel on the cross. He sent his own dear son. And his son, who was the glorious king of heaven, came down. And walked amongst us as a servant and died on the cross. And when you look at that and meditate on that, what happens? The power of the love of God begins to extract from you and pull out of you. Vainglory, arrogance, sinful tendencies. And also we can believe God that when we look at the cross and we think he carried my sicknesses and my physical pains, we begin to press in and ask the Holy Spirit not just to bring his healings and his miracles, as He, li- but we begin to press in. We begin to look for a healing we begin to say Lord send your healing in our lives we know the fullness is is on its way but you know there is enough power in the blood of Jesus to heal this whole world right now and keep it healthy there is enough power in the blood of Jesus to heal this whole world instantly and keep it healthy you say well why has that not happened yet there's many reasons for it one of the things is we need to seek God for an outpouring of the kingdom of heaven that's why we say, let your will be done in heaven. In other words, we're saying we don't have it like we could have it. So we're saying, can we have it like it is? That's the whole point. We don't sit back and say, well, we just accept the low measures of healing, the low measures of salvation, the low measures, measures of sanctification. We just accept it. That's just the way it is. And we become thermometers. And we just say, well, if there's no healing, there's no healing. If there's low healing, there's low healing. If there's few fat salvations, there's few salvations. Hey, if I'm sinful and you're sinful, we just keep it the way it is. No, we're not thermometers. What we have to do is get hold of the, God, of the kingdom of God, get over the Lord's Prayer, and turn the prayer, your will be done as it is in heaven, and turn the thermostat of our prayers and our faith from your will be done as It is in heaven. What have you just done? You've set a new thermostat in your mind and expectation. You're no longer expecting what you've already got or a little bit measure more of what you've already got. Whether it be deliverance from curse, whether it be healing from physical sickness, whether it be closeness to the Lord, Fresh anointing. Oh, just a little bit more, maybe. This is all we've experienced. No, thy will be done as it is in heaven. Just like when you go to the, your car, if you've got um, air conditioning. Mine's not working at the moment. It needs to be fired up. But you go to the air conditioning, you get in there and you kept your windows shut and you sit down and you go, oh, I'm stifling, what do you do? You don't just set it, you set it to, to ice cold, don't you? Full thing, ice cold. You set it at its fullest and all of a sudden it starts blowing in. And that's what... that's that's what we need to do we need to set the thermostats in our life to to where the spirit is leading us and, and then when we set the thermostat we're in a position where we're looking and expecting more from God and God is aiming to pour out it's not right that I should suffer diabetes and he should too it's not right I know we're in a battle, I know it's a fallen world, I understand that. But we're not, gonna, we're not gonna leave it as it is, we're gonna believe for more, aren't we? We know in history there's times where great healing power, great reviving power has come. Well, why can't we believe that again? Why do, why do we have, you know, it's not right. Why should G, if whatever you're suffering, whatever sickness you're suffering tonight, it's not right that you suffer it and he suffer it too. It says clearly he carried it, he carried ours. It's not right. Something's wrong. Something's wrong that I'm preaching to you, sick. It's something's wrong. Well, I'm wrong. We're not proportioning blame here. We're not looking at ourselves. We're looking to Christ. We're looking for more. We're looking for an increase in manifestation. We're looking for greater things. That's what we're looking for. We're not, It's not going down on ourselves. We're looking up and saying, there's something wrong when Jesus has carried so much sickness and we're carrying the same sickness. The devil must be laughing. Jesus had that, and you got it too. Jesus carried that, and you're still carrying it. You've been carrying it for weeks, months, years. Jesus carried it, you're carrying it. Something's wrong. We don't just sit back and say, oh, well. We say, something's wrong. God, Holy Spirit, stir us, help us. Seek earnestly the gifts, it says. Why? And you'll get more. God, do something in our lives. Awaken the church to the potential that's available for us. Hallelujah. Let's just go and to you to pray right now, and just look and live. Whatever it is you need today, for body, soul, you need healing. I need healing, and I'm thinking about that in the broadest sense of the word—healing of soul, mind, body. Just right now, just look. You say, "What do I have to do?" Look. Gaze, just one look, and the Spirit will do the rest. I wonder if there's anybody here today, and maybe it's your first time that you're going to look and live tonight. Maybe you've already looked. Maybe you caught a glimpse of what I was preaching today as I lifted up the message of the cross, that Jesus died for you so that you don't have to taste eternal death. He carried your sin... And was punished by his own father for what you did. So that you don't have to be punished for it. But if you don't look, you will die in your sins. And you will be punished for your sins. But how crazy. Why be punished for your sins when God's son was punished on your behalf? Why, why, why should he be punished and you punished? Why, why, why should he be punished and you punished when he carried your sins and transgressions? All you have to do is, like the children of Israel, look up and say, I see it, and I believe it. Because believing is seeing. And if you see it and believe it, you're healed. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven you. And now you begin a new journey for disciple of the cross. Every day and week and month and year, God will continue from the power of his cross to bring healing into your life by the power of the Spirit. If you're here today and you said, you know what, I've seen that. I want my sins forgiven tonight. I've seen it. Why don't you just lift your hand up right where you are and I will pray and you will receive forgiveness of sins. Someone upstairs, yep, keep your hands up, just keep your hands up because you're lifting your hand up like Jesus lifted himself up and it's not too much to ask, is it? And you're doing it already, to lift your hand up when he lifted his naked body up and was pierced on a cross for your transgression. What boldness it is for you that have seen to lift your hand today as you are in public when he was lifted up in public for you. Anybody else, lift your hand, I'll pray for you. Anybody else, Lifted hands up. I need consolidators on the ball here, please. Up in the right to the middle. I can't see many, I can see one consolidator. That's all, cell leaders help. Father, for though every person that's hand is lifted, over to my right every hand that is lifted. They lifted their hands because they've seen. They've seen. They've seen you, that you love them and you died for them. And therefore I pronounce by the authority of your word forgiveness of sins. Not just for today, but forever. Look and live. Forgive their sins, Lord. Cause them to be born again and Lord, let this be the first day of healing in their lives. Take their lives, make them whole, make them strong, fashion them into everything that you want them to be. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand together. We're gonna to release an impartation of healing. Those that lifted your hand, we're gonna invite you just to come out here to the front. Uh, you can come with, if you brought if you came with a friend, come bring those friends. We just want to give you a gift of a John's Gospel and pray for any needs that you have. We'll wait for you downstairs. Nothing weird's going to happen. You've done, you've done what you need to do, but we do have a gift for you. If there's something you'd like us to pray for in your life, a job or a need or healing, we'll, we'll do that and we'll bring you right back. So you just bring them down, consolidators, go with them and uh, look after them. Okay, I need a consolidator to be with every person that put their hand up and to help them and to do the wonderful job that you do just lift your hands right now the power of the cross is as powerful today as it was the moment that jesus was on it christ's blood is as fresh in its power today as it was when he was freshly slain there's no waning in the power of jesus over 2000 years it is one constant stream of healing for body, soul, and spirit. Right now, as you lift your hands, we pray that, Lord, as we behold, we have beheld your cross, that the magnetic power, you carried it. Why should we? Lord, we lift it up to you. Lord, we lift it up to draw out of a sickness right now. Wherever sickness is in your body, if you can place the hand where it is, place your hand there. Lord, draw sickness out of people's lives right now. By the power of your blood, you carried out pains. <coughs> those of you suffering pain, migraines and headaches, and back pains and stomach cramps and all kinds and manner of pains. He knows those pains because the Bible says he carried the very pain. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Be healed, may that pain and the source of that pain come out of your life. And may it, may it, may it end up back on the cross where it belongs. Every sickness may it come out of your life. and Like a magnet, may the cross draw out to itself the sickness, because 2000 years ago, Your sickness, my sickness, was on the cross. It was literally upon him, he carried it. And I say, go back to where you belong, sickness. By the healing power of the Holy Spirit, sickness, you belong on Jesus. Go back, as it were, to where you belong and where you were dealt with 2,000 years. The power of the message brings the power of the event the historic event of healing, the historic moment where you were dealt with in the name of Jesus, go back there in the name of Jesus. Oh God, let the message now pull out sickness, mental illness, Bring as, it, as it's pulled out, pour out the healing, pull out the sickness, pour out the spirit, pull out the sickness, and impart the Holy Spirit to your people, Lord. Oh we bask in your grace, sick minds, sick thoughts, depression and oppression, suicidal thoughts. God deliver us from them. Curse of the law, the curse of this world that tries to get in and mess us up in the name of Jesus. Go back where you belong. Christ has carried you. has made sin. He's the serpent on the pole. In the name of Jesus, release us, Lord. Increase the measures in these days of the healing anointing that comes directly from the cross. Where the blood is, that's where the Spirit answers. When we preach the blood, that that is when we preach the sacrifice. Whenever we talk about the blood of Jesus, it's simply shorthand for Christ's sacrifice. When we preach the blood, the sacrifice, Let the Holy Spirit come upon the blood, come upon the message of the sacrifice and bring healing, deliverance, freedom and liberty. Mind, body, soul and spirit. You've already wrought your work of salvation in people's lives, Lord. Now extend the power of your healing in our lives in the name of Jesus. Why don't you just thank him in in your own words. Just begin to thank him for dying for you. Thank him for his shame that's replaced your shame. Thank him that he's carried all our negatives so we can bear his positive. He carried our shame so that we can have his dignity. Carried our sicknesses so we can have his health. Carried our poverty so we can have provision. Carried our sins so we can have his righteousness. Carried our negativity so that we can have a positive faith mindset. The divine exchange, let's rejoice in it, Everything that was bad, everything that was fallen, everything that was destroyed, Everything that was satanic, everything that was sinful, Everything that was decayed. He took! And then in return as a gift He gave us everything that was good, everything that was holy, Everything that was healing, everything that was delivering, Everything that was righteous, everything that was glorious, Everything that was perfect, everything that was full of hope from his Father's throne. He gave us the kingdom of God. He translated us from the darkness of the enemy and he translated us into a new kingdom of deliverance, freedom, of perfection, and grace and mercy, and peace and wholeness for body, mind, and soul. Let's just receive that right now in the name of Jesus. Let's just receive it. Hallelujah, I'm gonna ask the ministry team to come forward. Or we're just gonna worship the Lord, and it might be that where you are, you just just I mean I, I just know that some of you just where you are, you're just gonna you're already receiving something. And you can just bask in that right where you are as long as you want. But some of you you might want the laying on of hands, you might want someone to agree with you and pray for you, and whatever that is, the theme is healing, healing of body, healing of soul, healing of mind. That's the theme. And if you want someone to pray for you, we have a ministry team here. And while the worship is going on, you can stay, you can go, you can bask, you can be prayed for. But we are looking at the Lord right now, and we are in, we are receiving fresh life in Jesus' name. You alone can